Hello, it's No Crumbs Left, and I'm so delighted to be sitting across from friend George Lang, portrait photographer, extraordinary, from all the way from Pittsburgh. Thanks for coming in to see me today. I'm so happy to be here. You know, people don't realize that um, my podcast is always face-to-face, and I'm not saying you can't do a lovely podcast, uh, uh, you know, virtually, but I like to be with people. I'm the real food gal. I'm I really cooking in the kitchen. I like all of the real stuff, so... Uh, I'm delighted that you came. And when I said, George, get on a plane and come, he said, okay. And we got him a ticket and he's here. I'm obsessed with eye contact lately. I've been noticing it from everything from the debates to people on on late night talk shows that can't make eye contact. And when I photograph people, just the intimacy of eye contact is so powerful. So let's just, just to give you that street cred, tell us some of the, you know, you're, you've been around a little bit and tell us some <laughs> of the folks that you've photographed. I photographed a lot of famous people and a lot of people that weren't so famous, but some of the people that you know. I did all the, a lot of the ads for the Seinfeld show. I did Jim Carrey's movies. I did the cast of Friends. During the 90s, I lived in Hollywood and Santa Monica, and I would do all these shows for these new magazines. When Entertainment Weekly came out, I did the full fall TV preview for them every month. And uh, when Teen People came out, I did everyone from Miley Cyrus to... Channing Tatum to Jonah Hill for them. I love it. And I know you've done everybody from uh, Steve Jobs, right? The only picture of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates ever together was at Steve Jobs' house. And I did that for a fortune cover. And I know you did not only the Obamas, Sophia Loren, Sophia Loren, the most elegant woman ever. And I wanted to have her doing something very utilitarian because she was so glamorous and bigger than life. So she comes to the shooting. It was for Allure magazine. And she gets a glass of wine, drapes herself in a towel, sits down on the floor and does her own hair and makeup. And then I put her in this beautiful Todd Oldham dress and put a leaf flower on her. And she's going around this garden in Beverly Hills blowing the leaves. And she still looks like the most glamorous yeah. woman in the world. There's a funny story from the end of that. We had this beautiful lunch for her. And I never have gotten autographs ever. But she's sitting across from me and she has a linen napkin. And after, after lunch, she does her lips and presses her lips on the napkin. And I had her sign it. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. So... Um, I know you started out as Annie Leibovitz's assistant, or that was part of your heritage, which I think is just, like, so fantastic. Can you just give us a moment on that? Annie was my hero growing up. I just loved her. And when I moved to New York, uh, a friend of mine was her first assistant, a friend of mine's boyfriend, and I introduced myself and got a job as the third assistant. And they were crazy with each other, and I knew it wouldn't be long till I had that job. And I figured out a strategy for, for dealing with it. And, and being a great assistant. And I told her when I got the job, I will be the best assistant you've ever had. I'm available 24-7. I said, but the only rule is you can't yell at me. Because she, she was kind of, you know, there was a lot going on and a lot of pressure on her. And she never did. And we traveled all over the world. It was the last six months of Rolling Stone, the first six months of Vanity Fair. And it was this amazing transition in her life. It was about four months after she took that famous picture of John Lennon. And we just had the most amazing time. You know, the picture of Steve Martin where he's in the white tuxedo with the black paint. I'm in the corner, you know, handing her the film for that. And I lit that picture. Um, I'm sitting there lighting it. And when I would go in, I would not want to hang out with the celebrities or even pretend that I was part of the entourage. I had my job to do, and I kind of wanted to do it quietly. And I'm over in the corner working on the lights, and there's a tap on my shoulder. And this beautiful woman whispers, she says, would you like anything to drink? It was Bernadette Peters. Oh, I love it. Who was going out with uh, Steve Martin at the time. Oh, my gosh. Well, 
you've, you've lived some life, and I love that about you. I love your stories. So when we first met a few years back, and I know you came, and I called and said, we're having this bloggers sort of retreat, and will you come? And we can't pay you, but will you come and photograph us? And, you know, you came. We had, a, we had such a great time. And you were living in Boulder at, in that, at that time. So I know now you've moved to Pittsburgh, and I know, you know, a bit about the story of your mom and her passing. And tell us about that. How did you get to Pittsburgh? Well, I grew up in, in uh, Pittsburgh, and I left after high school. And recently, I, you know, I have a 9- and 12-year-old boy. I'm living with, with my wife, Steffi, and the boys in, in Boulder. And my mom got sick. And I go back. She was living in the house that not only I grew up in, she grew up in. And I go back to that house to take care of her for it was about three or four months, the spring of 2018. And the incredible thing that happened is I realized that there was a certain feeling of joy that I had growing up that I reconnected with going back to Pittsburgh. And I've been taking pictures all these years, and I love taking pictures. I have so much fun taking pictures, but I never really knew what a George Lang picture was. So I go back to Pittsburgh. I'm with my mom. We're having the best time, even though she's sick, but not, not too sick to have a good time. And, uh, and I connect with this feeling of joy. And then... Um, I went back to my archive. I have 85 drawers of film from the 90s stored in Pittsburgh that's been there for years. And whenever I would go to visit it, it was completely overwhelming because I didn't understand the connective tissue that tied it all together. And that's where all these iconic pictures were stored, but I didn't know what to do with them. After my mom passed away, I go to storage and I'm looking at the pictures and it's like, oh, Kate Spade painting her toenails behind her desk. There's that feeling I had growing up. You know, Ewan McGregor with his head in the lion's mouth. There's that feeling. Even like all these pictures, it's like I had unconsciously been trying to recreate this feeling that I had growing up my entire adult life. Right. And to reconnect with that. So how we got back to Pittsburgh is this crazy story. My mom passes away. She was awesome until the very end, until the last 10 days. She passed away a month short of 90 I love this story. Yeah, which is, it's a beautiful story. So take your time and tell us. Okay. Um, so I had been there making these wildly rich meals. And we would go out in the backyard and eat till it got dark. And if it started raining, we'd, we'd put up the, the umbrella. And I just felt like we were safe and nothing bad was going to happen while we were having these, while we were together in the backyard. But she had lung cancer and it progressed. And, and you knew, I mean, at this point, you know. Your mom's old. You know that she's sick. You know you're having these last days, which are so magnific- magnificent. You know, so I've had so it with precious. My, both of my parents. Right. And you know you're at the end, and you know these moments mean so much. So you're, you were so present for it in a wonderful way. But you're also going, is there anything I need to ask? Right. Is there anything I want to know? Like, these are my last days of, right. of being able to, to ask her what happened to your father or— um, what was it like for you growing up in this house or whatever stories. But whenever I would ask her those questions, she would always laugh. And, or if I would show her pictures and say, what was going on, on here? She would say, oh, George is doing, you know, like, this is your thing. I don't like looking backwards. I, I like looking forwards. Oh, interesting. And, until the end. Yeah. But 10 days before she died, she said, I have to get my nails done. And I said, okay. And we got her a little oxygen. She had lung cancer. We got her a little oxygen. Uh, portable oxygen, and we go down to her manicurist, and they do her nails, and they do her toenails. And she said, I have to get some new pants. And we go across the street to Prana and get her a new pair and of Prana, pants. And Prana, not Prana the designer, but Prana the Prana, the right. people. Okay. Which, is, which is a little more comfortable when yes. you're in that well, situation. Yes, it, well, it, it's a different story if it's Prana, so That's I just right. wanted to make sure. That's right. And, and we go home, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and she goes in her bedroom, 
And she gets in bed. Does she put on her new pants? Puts on her new pants. Okay. And she pulls up her bedspread and she puts her hands on top of her, um, on top of the bedspread. And she says, it's, it's a time to go bye-bye now. And she never got out of bed. And 10 days later, she was gone. And, and and like a month short of ninety, it was it was extraordinary. And and she was a really special person, you know. I am so curious, and I get my curiosity from my mother. And she went. She grew up in Pittsburgh and lived in Pittsburgh. And every symphony, every piece of theater, every lecture, movie club, like she went out every night, and she just was so curious about everything. And the stranger it was if Bruce Springsteen came to town, she wanted to go see him. You know, it was it was wild. And she was fun and very alive. And uh, and she had such a great send-off mm-hmm, that right. the mourning process has not been sad. It's been beautiful. Right. And, and you're, you're like a year and a half into it, right? Right, right. So I had never discussed moving back to Pittsburgh with her and... We, I started getting the house ready to sell and that whole process. And there was a little legal issue with part of the driveway, and we had to take it off the market. And so come the fall, we decide, well, it's not a good time to put it on the market. And then it's New Year's, and my, my boys say, well, we have to go to Pittsburgh. It's New Year's. We always go to Pittsburgh for New Year's. And I said, well, my mom's gone, and the house looks very different. It makes no sense to, to go there again. And they said, well, it's, it's New Year's. We always go there. So on the 28th of December, not this last December, but the year before, we go to Pittsburgh and it's just the most miserable night. It's rainy and cold. And whenever we've come to that house, it's warm and my mom's waiting in the doorway. And this is just a completely different experience. And we go in and we turn on the lights and we turn on the heat and we start making pancakes. And the boys look at us and say, see, it feels like home. Oh, they're so sage. Talk about wise. And a switch flipped with my wife and I. And it's like, oh, we've never even thought of moving here. And it started this process. And we moved to Pittsburgh last June into that house. And how long after the pancake moment, the aha moment, did you say, okay, we're doing it? Like two days. We met with a financial advisor friend of mine. And Steffi made the whole case for moving to Pittsburgh. And she's from Nashville. She loved my mom. She spent so much time with my mom and they had such a great relationship and it just it it was it was time to leave Boulder my career wasn't at its peak there and um and we moved back to Pittsburgh and we pull on that driveway and everything since June has been extraordinary the people in Pittsburgh the kids that I grew up with that I haven't stayed in touch with with uh, some of them they're just they've just embraced me and they've just said, we are here for you. And anything, you know, we followed everything that you've done. And I've had this, you know, big international career. I've, I've photographed so many amazing people. But, you know, in addition to the celebrities, I've worked for brands from Jenny's Ice Cream to Cardinal Health to HP to IBM. I worked as the artist in residence with the in-house um, creative agency at Facebook and Instagram. It's called Creative Shop. They created the position of artist in residence for me. And I've done, I photographed, uh, I did a big project the last couple of years for Dick Sporting Goods on the emotional side of youth sports. And I could go anywhere in the country and shoot any sport I wanted. So it's girls wrestling in Oklahoma and baseball in upstate New York and inner city football in Pittsburgh and and, and, and all these th- th- these things, but I come back and Pittsburgh just embraces all of it. Right. And 
all the people that I knew growing up are embracing me. And then all these people that I wanted to meet from the, the people at the symphony. I, I just photographed the conductor, Manfred Honeck, who is extraordinary international conductor. I, the people that, that helped me, like there's a person, I have a new studio there in this section of town called Garfield that is just so alive. And from the people that helped me clean the windows, um, who I photographed now to, you know, the most prominent people in town, they're all coming by my studio. I have these boxes that I built that are on wheels, and we decorate them every month. And and I'm starting to, you know, this kind of new photo studio that is super old-fashioned and totally 2020. So whether people... Um you know, whether a corporation flies you out and you, you know, do those folks there or people come see you or if people can afford to, to fly you to take portraits, you're doing it whenever, wherever and however you can. Exactly. And the thing since the very beginning is I love I love taking pictures because it allows me to meet Ter- Terry Turner. Mm-hmm. It allows me to meet so many people. So many doors have flown open um, just because I have my camera and and I use the camera to document an experience that I get to have. I don't know if you know, but a couple weeks back, or maybe it was a month ago, whatever, we had Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream on the podcast. I mean, she's I, she's an amazing woman, and she sees you know the lens of her life is ice cream. Right. So we loved having. But, tell us. I remember the story, and I don't quite remember. But can you tell us the story? Yeah. I mean, what what's beautiful about Jenny is she uses all of her senses. Yeah, she really like, does. When you talk about ice cream with her, yeah. she goes to scent all yeah. the time yeah. and what it feels like on your tongue. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that when you take pictures, that you really need to use all your senses too. Like the first thing you want to do to take a good picture is to close your eyes. What does it sound like? Mm-hmm. What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And then you open your eyes and. And, and add the visuals. But I think that like learning to appreciate how amazing we all are. And, you know, even when we're sharing on Instagram, I mean, one of the things that you do that I find so powerful is you share what you really feel, what you really see, what you really taste, and you share it with such enthusiasm. It moves all of us in your audience and that get to experience it. And it's it's authentic, and I hate using that word; it's so overused. But it's true. Like you do that, and and that's what I try and do with my work too. So I met Jenny, and Jenny was the real deal. She was She's completely real obsessed yeah. with ice cream, yeah, and creating these flavors. And she had these relationships with the farmers. I remember the the woman that grew her mint, and they'd get these bushels of mint, and it was filled with bugs and everything. They're pulling the bugs out. It was organic mint, and um, and Jenny and I just hit it off. Yeah, of course. So one of my favorite stories with 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 Jenny is that I, I I started shooting video, and this is at the very beginning. I did her like the original branding there. I was involved then. So I go to Columbus and I shoot for three days, and I think ah, this video thing's really hard. I don't know what I'm doing. And the last day that I'm there, the last hour, I get one of the scoopers, and I said, give me a scoop of cherry lambic, which is this red ice cream, and she puts it on the cone and takes it outside, and it's warm outside, and it just looks so luscious. And I get someone who's in line for ice cream, and she's there on her first date with this guy. And I put the guy next to me, and I tell her, walk up the street, lick the ice cream till it falls off the cone, wipe your mouth, and walk away. And that video became viral and crazy and famous. 
And it's and we put it to Serge Gainsbourg's Black Trombone, and he's singing this beautiful romantic French song, and she's lick, really having a very good time with the ice cream. And uh, and then I was off and running. But then Jenny started using some local people to do videos, and, and I didn't think they were very good. I went back to my footage. I, I cut it together and sent it to her, and she looks at it, and she goes, that's exactly who we are. And she put it front and center on her website. And her company blew up. Yeah. And it blew up because of the relationship that she had with her customers. Yeah. And it's almost well, it's not only her customers, it's her customers, it's her team, it's her suppliers. I mean completely, especially yeah. the team. Yeah. But but she developed this this relationship that was so intimate and so powerful and so heartfelt, exactly what you do, mm-hmm. Terry. Thank you. And um and those relationships, those are that's that's when when they had the whole Listeria thing at Jenny's and they had to shut down for months, people bought gift certificates not knowing if they would ever be able to use them just to support Jenny because that relationship was so powerful. Yeah, she she is amazing. And I sort of love that, you know, fan loyalty thing. So tell me some of your best stories. Well, there's there's a story going on now that's that's wild. I did a book about four years ago called The Unforgettable Photograph. It was published by Workman. Instagram wound up buying thousands of copies, and that's how I got my uh, position there as oh, artist wonderful. in residence. But the idea from the book, a friend of mine saw me shooting at the beach, and he said, what you're doing intuitively would help people take better pictures. And he created the structure for the book and put it together mostly with personal pictures, a lot of pictures of my kids. And the idea behind the book is we're all taking pictures, and photography is a way of appreciating your life in deeper and more special ways. So it was basically taking something that we're all doing every day and just appreciating and using it a little more as a tool. So the book did very well. And a couple years after it was published, um, a guy named Harry Dwinell graduated from University of Colorado. I didn't know him. And he um, was given the book because he liked photography by his parents. And he joins the Peace Corps and he gets stationed in the Gambia, which is a teeny country inside Senegal on the west side of Africa. And he's in a very poor village, and he starts recreating the pictures from my book with the kids in the village. Wow. Using the same body language, using a, the same feeling of light, but they're with these kids that are, like, living this incredibly different life. But you see the connection. He calls the project Contrast. And he did about 15 of these and posts it on Facebook and tags me. And I look at these, and I just burst into tears. It was so powerful. I, I sent them to Workman, to my publisher, and she calls me five minutes later. She said, George, I have a floor full of really like tough New York editors, and they're all bawling at their desks looking at these pictures. It's just so beautiful. And we've gone on. We got to know each other, and I would he would speak to my son's classes. We would do video chats, and he came to Boulder, and uh, we now have about 50 of these images. Wow. And it's it's a show. It's a book. I'm not sure how we're going to put mm-hmm. it out in the world, but it's on Harry Dwinnell's, um Instagram, also on my on my website now. And I know you don't always do like, I mean, I, what I love is that you've taken some pictures of me today, but I know you don't always do like traditional pictures, right? So tell us some of like the cake, the cake boss and some of those kinds of things that give us a little peek into what you do. Cake boss is, is really fun. I used to do... And I'm still working with uh, TLC, doing doing a lot of their shows. But I did Buddy at uh, on on Cake Boss, 
and we and we worked through all these ideas. I, I had this um, amazing art director, Dan, Dan Cavey, and we would come up with all these ideas. And then what he allowed me to do was improvise. So we were at the bakery. We we're doing all these things. And I had this idea to put a piece of brown leather up on up on the side of the bakery in the alley. And Steffi, my wife, who's an amazing painter, I said, I need a piece of brown leather. And she painted all through the night out in the driveway. She had it stretched out the canvas. And, and I took this, put it up. I got one of, um, one of his assistants and had him go up on a ladder with a huge sifter full of flour. And I told Buddy, stand right there, fold your arms and look at me and just don't move. And we sifted the flour onto him until he became a snowman. It was an incredibly cool picture. And that became, that became the ad. An- another crazy story was I was doing Jim Carrey for, a, uh, for the cover of, of Esquire. And I'm in the dressing room, and I'm going, you have such rubbery skin. What's going to happen when you get older? And he looks around, and there's a clothespin. And he grabs a clothespin and puts it on his face. And then he puts another clothespin. And the next thing, he has a beard of clothespins. And we go out and take that picture, and that becomes the, the cover of Esquire, just that random, that random little moment. There was also something, you know, when they show behind the scenes of a lot of these shootings, there's a lot of things that kind of get left out. And Jim Carrey always had a Make-A-Wish kid at his shootings, which was awesome. And at that. that shooting, there was a Make-A-Wish kid. And all the people from Make-A-Wish are there and all the studio people there and the PR people. There are like 75 people in the studio as we're doing this. And the kid said that he wanted to take Jim's picture. And Jim said, okay, you can take my picture, but you have to direct me. So I got an Apple box and I got him up on there and set up my camera and focused it. And here's the button. And Jim's standing there opposite him. And the room goes silent. And everyone's so quiet and nervous because is this kid going to be able to speak or do anything? And suddenly, out of nowhere, he screams, give it to me, Jimmy, and pushes the button. (laughs) And the whole place is just on the floor crying and laughing. And it was just like one of these moments. And I think that what I try and do is to create a stage and to create a place that people feel comfortable and they feel like they can trust me, which they can. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 And then in that place let things happen that, that you never even imagined. And when you're with super creative people or when you're with anyone, I photographed the guy that washes my windows two days ago in Pittsburgh. And he was wearing this funny hat and he gets on the set and he shows a side of himself that is so extraordinary and so heartfelt and so beautiful. It's on my, my Instagram feed. Um, and he's, you know, those, those are the moments that... That I that I live for, but I live for those outside of photography too. You do right with with my boys, mm-hmm, right? Like every day that we wake up, it's an opportunity to see the world through their eyes, to hear the world through their ears. Right. And I just, I you know, you learn so much about them and about yourself through through observing freely. Yeah, I mean, you're I mean, you're a super passionate person. I mean, one of the things I said to you because you were in my kitchen this morning is um, my mom always said you have to put new information in. If you just have the same thing rolling around in your head, you know, you're never going to get any new results. So you always have to be putting new information in. And I think that's one of the things about you is that you're always celebrating life. You're seeing everything from anew. And you're, you know, you're refreshing a lot. 
But the thing that's so funny is a lot of those things are like almost like buzz terms, you know, mm-hmm. you should, you should, every day is a new day. Right. And, and, and all Well, my mom things. was saying it long ago before anybody okay. said it. She owns it. She owns it. <laughs> yeah. No, but the thing is, if you're really living your life like that, like it's fine to say, trust me. But the whole thing about someone trusting you is you have to be trustworthy. Right. And right. and people forget that. It, right. It's like you have to earn the trust. You have to live live the life that, that you want to live. And the thing that's so extraordinary in my marriage with— Yes, and I wanted to ask that. —with, with uh, Steffi is we're both waking up, first of all, just to wake up in love yeah. for years— and to wake up next to the person that you love so much is an extraordinary gift. Yep. And it frees you. Like people that think that being married, you know, ties you down or something like that. I am so much freer because I'm with someone who I love and loves me and trusts me and I trust her. And I can go out in the world and share everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful that you see it. It's beautiful that you get it. And I mean, I think the truth about love is... That's great if you have that person. I have that person, too. I wake up every day going, I am so lucky. You know, I love this man, and he's really, really my partner, and he really has me, sees me, knows me. And like I like to say, Roy says, you're a strong cup of coffee, Ah. but I like a strong cup of coffee. Um, So we're lucky like that. But then I just feel like people can, you know, you can you can find your people. You can whether it's you know in a romantic relationship or it's dear friends to really choose family to go out there and make that happen. We all have the ability to find love in our lives. Do you agree? Every day, every person, it's there all the time. It was in the window washer two days ago. It, It, you know, I feel that there is amazing inside of everyone. I just believe that. I have mm-hmm. to believe that. In people I might disagree with politically, in people that I might not, we might like completely different, one's a vegan and one's yeah. really into eating steaks or whatever. You know, I think that if we get to that place that we're all connected, and I think that we crave connection. We wake up every day, and if the person, if you don't have the love of your life next to you, you can connect with your children. You can connect with your friends. A lot of people connect with the people on NPR, you know, right. or or on or on Instagram. But even on on a social media, we have to share what makes us really special and how we see the world in a new way. My frustration on social is that people show me things I already know. Right. I don't need to see the, you know, the top of your coffee. I've right. seen that. I don't need to see a sunset. What interests me is the light from the sunset reflecting on you. My son came, we were at a beach house, and he comes running down the step, and he steps, he's a photographer's son. And he goes, Dad, Dad, you have to see the light in my room. And we run up, he goes, look, the sunset's in my room. He goes, look at my bed, the sunset's on my bed. Look at the walls, the sunset's on my walls. He goes, look at me, the sunset's on me. Right, right, and that's, so profound. that's the idea, right. because he personalized the sunset. Right. And, and I want to see Jackson's version of the sunset I don't want to see something that everyone else sees. So how do people do that? I mean, it's a great idea because there's content creators all the time. And, you know, we're, you know, stressed to create, you know, content, content, content. How do we translate that into what we do on, on our pages? Well, you, you do that every day. Like, you do that naturally. When I was just watching you this morning, you're going around and there are a zillion. It's, it's like 
it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, (laughs) except it's like chicken and pork and tahini and the special salts and and your beautiful ceramic dishes and all these things. But you are like, wow, I love this smell. Wow, I love this taste. Wow, I love the energy of all the people helping me. Get Pre- there, right? Create this, right? And 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 I think that a lot of it's just appreciating. There's a story. I, I had this extraordinary teacher at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, mm-hmm. where I went. Her name was Wendy Snyder McNeil, and she was obsessed with the painter George O'Keefe. And her and her husband found out that George O'Keefe was going to be at this opera in Santa Fe, and she drove nonstop down to Santa Fe with her husband, taking turns, and got there just before this opera, and she sat behind George O'Keefe, introduced herself, and George O'Keefe invited her out to her place the next day. And Wendy goes there, and George O'Keefe says, all these students come to visit me. And they're looking, and they're looking, and what they're looking for is sitting right on the end of their nose. And that's, that's the thing. All the things, all the love that we can share with the world, all the things that are so special are sitting right there. Our kids every day are a miracle. Right. And right. it's like I can't I can't get enough of that. Being with my wife in my case is a miracle. Right. And right. and I, I and I just want to appreciate that so much. By the time I get to work, I'm buzzing. Yeah, I love that. And, and the world that. is my oyster. Right. And anyone that walks by, I run out there as a kid who was so beautiful walking by my studio in Garfield the other day, and I, I ran out, and I said, who are you? And he came in, and, and not only was he beautiful to look at, he was turned out, he was amazing, but he was this beautiful, beautiful soul. Right. And that's everywhere. I, I just photographed the, um, the conductor of the Pittsburgh Symphony, Manfred Honick. He's only with them 10 weeks of the year. He's a Super famous international conductor. He was written up in the New Yorker two weeks ago. He's amazing. And we get together and we're talking about what music feels like. And and he closes his eyes and it's like, this is what the Bruckner feels like to me. I, I love that. I love that. And I get it because in terms of cooking, you know, I I get that. And I think it's it's incumbent upon all of us to find the magic in our own lives, you know, to really discover our own magic, discover what does that. You and I are fortunate that it's what we do for a living. And for some people it isn't. But it's like, how do you find that magic? What do you cultivate that you love that you are? Well, there's so about? much to distract us from it. Yes. There is so much crazy stuff in the news. There is so many we get so many emails and so many posts and all this stuff. And you just have to, what the yogis would say, what my mm-hmm. wife would tell me is quiet your mind. Yeah. And you have to pause and, oh, look at the light today. Right. Oh, right. look right. at who I get to be with. Yes. I get right. to be with Terry Turner today. I woke up. I was so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I believe in the law of attraction myself. I mean, I am, I'm a believer in your teacher who drove across country to see George O'Keefe. Um, I just think we are creating our own destiny all the time. What, what do you think about that? I think that, that that's totally true. And, and I think that we have more, not so much control, but power over the paths that our life takes if we will let ourselves see in fresh ways. And if we the will, light. <laughs> and, we, and if we will appreciate what the opportunities are. Right. And the opportunities are often so teeny. I mean, you're making a chicken breast. Mm -hmm. Who is the chicken breast for? Why are you making the chicken breast? Well, you're making it to share with people you love. Right. 
and it's made with love. Right. And, and, and it's shared with love. And and you set a table and you put what you're doing and, and you're showing people how to do that in their homes. And they're all going to do it differently. Even though you're, they're working from your recipes, they're all going to have different dishes and different people and different light right. and different experience. But they're making that to share. I mean, cooking for someone is sharing love. Yeah. It, it really, really is. And we get to do that every day. Every I, day. I wake up and I, I try and wake up before... Um, the world does? Well, Steffi wakes up and meditates every day. Yeah. But I, I, I wake up before I need to because I love making breakfast. And I make, I think about it. I'm laying in breakfast. Okay, the boys are going to get this. And, and I'm going to make this bowl for Steffi. And this is how it, what's going to go in it. And these are the sauces that are going to go in. And, 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 and how am I going to get the poached egg and the spinach steamed? I have like 20 minutes to cook. Right, right. I love so, that. So the steamer's on top of the water. Perfect. You know, that I'm poaching the eggs in. And, and we're like. The best time. The best times. I mean, I loved when my kids lived at home. I loved cooking for them in the morning. I loved sending them beautiful lunches. At the beginning of the year, it was like, give me a thing of 20 things you want to eat during school. I don't want you to be like, no, I want the, I want to know right now these are the 20 things. Because, you know, with kids, it's like, well, I don't eat that. So then I'd, I'd be like, oh, we're agreeing to the 20 things. So then I would do spinoffs of the 20 things and send them. And I know, would love to have. Eating the lunches that you uh, made the, your the kids best lunches out. in the world. I'll I mean, bet. I'm not kidding. I'll bet. One question I just want to ask you is, um, just quickly tell me. You know, life isn't always easy. So, how do you and your wife? What do you do to get through times that are hard? Definitely, you know, you uh, come on on podcasts like this, or you uh, or you put yourself out on Instagram, and you never really talk about things things that are difficult. You're having trouble with money or, you're, or your people aren't hiring you. You know, I'm, I've been a freelancer my whole career and your career goes in waves yep. and that's normal. Um, Steffi always tells me when things are hard, she goes, don't get ahead of yourself. We're together. We're, we're healthy. We're in love. It's like, that's the important stuff. Yeah. And, and it's really hard sometimes. You just feel like, my younger son does this. Asher, he's like, you know, this is going to be a horrible day or this, you know, you know, this, yes. and it's like, remember what your mom says, yeah. you know, we are, we are, we are here. We aren't getting ahead of ourselves, right. you know, and then, and then a switch flips. I mean, I love this and I'm going to use, don't get ahead of ourselves. So where do people find you? I know that you sell your beautiful prints. How do people do that? I just that? started doing that. I, I just started, you know, going to my archive and scanning it in the last year. So all it. of these pictures that I'm showing now have never been seen. I love it. And and we started scanning and making prints in my studio under my supervision. And I love the prints. They're coming out of the printer. I'm laughing and I'm 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 thrilled. It's like wow, look at yeah. look at these. They've never been printed. And at georgelang.com. They go and they it's L-I-N-G-E. And if you go either to the print section, which has about a dozen prints of the most popular ones, or if you go to the um archive section where there are lots of stories around the pictures and lots of alternate takes. It's, it's, just, it's just fun. And when I left Boulder, so many people bought prints. I had just started selling them. And they said, we want a piece of you on our wall. And that was, that was the sweetest thing. I love that. Well, we met through my dear friend Kate Chiffrin, our mutual dear friend, some years ago. And she was like, you're, you're calling George, that's it. And, you know, we've been furious friends since. So um, when you're doing new and exciting things, we want you to come back and tell us because I'm so in support of what you do. And I think you're definitely a magic maker on the planet. Um, and then where do people find you on Instagram? I'm at George.Lang. George.Lang. 
Thanks, everybody. Thanks, George, for being here. Thanks, Thanks for Karen. coming and believing in the process. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Um, what we want to say is we love the podcast. We hope you do, too. We'd love for you to be subscribers and share with whoever you can, whenever you can. Come find us over at No Crumbs Left.